that we wouldn't just have him in a box. I know who Jesus is. I know the gospel. I know his power. Do you really know his heart? Is there not something more to see? This word of God is living and active. It's able to penetrate our hearts and minds afresh. To knock off those barnacles of the world that sometimes encrust our understanding. That with fresh, real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, we would walk boldly and serve him well. Uh, So I have high hopes for how God will use this passage today, not only for established believers to know Christ better, but perhaps there's one listening to the word of God now who may come to faith in Christ this day. Behold the great heart of Jesus. But we need to start with the misery of the passage. Indeed, the passage starts with a funeral procession before it gets to the miracle. The misery. There's, there's just a simplicity to this setting. And it begins with the convergence of two crowds. Uh, it's one thing to see Jesus interacting with people, but we have to, have to see perhaps in panoramic view these two crowds coming together, one down a village road towards a very small town out in the rural parts, uh, just six miles southeast of Nazareth. We don't know much about Nain except for this passage. And as Jesus and this throng of people, why was there a throng following Jesus? If you've been reading and remember the first part of the chapter, Jesus had done a great miracle and his fame had spread. He had healed the centurion's servant. And so not only his disciples who were with him for that big sermon on the mount or sermon on the plain from chapter 6, his disciples, but others were following. Hey, that's the rabbi, that's the Messiah. The crowd is coming down the road to Nain. And at that moment, that little village was all gathered for a different event. I don't know if you've ever driven around New England or other parts of the country. You come to a little town and all of a sudden they're celebrating something. The town where I grew up in Middleton, Wisconsin, uh, had something called the Good Neighbor Festival. I can't even remember the date. But when it was happening, the whole town was involved. And people passing through got caught up in that. Here it's a funeral And we are told explicitly that not only was there a crowd with Jesus that was following him in verse 11. In verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Why would there be such a great crowd? Because of the great sadness of that moment? We don't know if this son was a leader in the community or not. We only know a couple of things about him. He's dead and he was the only son of his mother. And it seems to me that this whole community, this crowd had gathered around him. Probably uh, some women who it was their official role to be mourners were going with her in that crowd. That would have been part of the custom. And the whole community in that ancient Uh, near eastern village would be grieving out loud as they went and the and the if your translation says coffin for the body that's there's no coffin there's probably a plank 
or a small platform and the bearers carried a body and it may have been under a shroud. That buyer was being borne out of the town towards the burial place. And typically in the ancient world, unlike today, the funeral is usually the same day or within hours of death. Word had spread and the crowd had gathered to minister to help that widow. And her need was great because she was twice bereaved. She was a widow, but she had a son. And although she didn't have her partner, her husband, she had a son until he died, twice bereaved. The greatest fears and the greatest heartaches in life are these two things. The loss of a spouse and the loss of a child. How do we know that there's sin in the world, that it's a broken world? Death. Death of your loved ones. I don't want to belabor that or tweak the the heartstrings here today. But if you know anyone who's lost a child... You know, this woman would have been beside herself. But more than her grief, her future was bleak and imperiled. There were limited opportunities for women to make their own way in the ancient world. If she could not uh, remarry and had no sons, there was no social security administration. There might be handouts and alms for the poor, but her future looked very bleak. And as much as the community gathered around her, she would be in great need going forward. I think this is a very powerful passage of the New Testament because this very conjunction of Jesus coming to meet this funeral procession, this convergence is really a picture of humanity. It's a picture of a world in need. Gather as we might to help one another, we cannot conquer death. And we can provide limited comforts one to another. We need Jesus to arrive and make a difference. We are powerless over sin and death. That's what the Bible teaches us. This misery is but the context for a miracle. So let's take a look. This miracle, by the way, follows a previous miracle. We just alluded to it, the healing of the centurion's son. Do you remember how did Jesus heal that centurion's son? There was something very interesting in how that miracle took place. The request came from a non-Jewish person, uh, uh, but Jesus honored that and pointed to his faith. And how did Jesus heal the servant? At a distance with just his word. Didn't show up, didn't touch him. And that servant was healed. He was nearly dead and he was healed. It's interesting with this miracle, there are a couple of significant differences. And they're put side by side here in the Gospel of Luke. As Luke is the inspired author of this book of the Bible, gathering the selected events of Jesus. And he puts this one here and this one here. And they're being next to each other. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. I think it only highlights the differences in this second miracle. 
I'll give you a heads up. I'll ask, will you be able to spot the key differences as we go? I'll get to them, but you watch for them. This miracle here with the widow's son who's died begins with Jesus showing compassion as the two crowds came together. We're told in verse uh, 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Jesus acted with compassion throughout the New Testament. You take that word and search for it in your concordance. Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion. It, 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 it almost rolls off your tongue if you read the New Testament. Who is this? He's a teacher, yes. And a rabbi, yes. A leader and a savior. But he displays compassion. If you read the New Testament, you cannot miss the great heart of Jesus at work. Not just to those who are lovely to look at, lovely to serve, but on the needy, on the afflicted, on the brokenhearted. The Greek word here for compassion means to be moved with pity or compassion. It's not complex. Used at least 20 times in the New Testament. And one of the significant times was in a parable. When Jesus used this word. Here Luke is writing. Luke is the narrator, right? Luke wrote verse 13. And he said Jesus was filled with compassion. The Holy Spirit told him that. Jesus used that word in a parable. To describe a Samaritan. You know those half-breeds that had broken away from Israel? They lived in the north. They had their own place of worship. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. Those Samaritans, they were despised. But Jesus told a parable about who is neighborly and how to love your neighbor. And the hero of that parable weren't the religious folks that walked by. It was this Samaritan traveler. And in Luke 10, 33, it was the Samaritan who had compassion on the man that had been beaten and left in the road. He was moved. Not just, oh, that's so sad. Wait for the commercial to end. That's appealing to you for compassion. No, this man was filled and moved with compassion and acted. And the Samaritan who in the ancient world was despised becomes the hero of the parable because he modeled this compassion and Jesus used him to say this is how you love your neighbor and that same compassion was a part of Jesus and his love for this broken world so that's very similar to other ways in which Jesus worked he was moved with compassion But then there are a couple of strange things, uh, two arresting statements that Jesus makes. Arresting, you just go, what did he just say? It stops you to think. And I hope you stop and think when you hear these words. Jesus is standing there and there's a hush as the mourners come and their wails fill the air, the sadness of the sobbing and the way it would have been orchestrated is the, the funeral buyer would have been preceded by the family. And likely it would just be this widow walking alone in front and then the the dead and then the community following. And Jesus stands there as they come up. What does Jesus say? Don't weep. Don't cry. 
Wow. If we were at a funeral and someone went to the widow or the bereaved mother and said that, what's wrong with you? How can you say that? A mother who's lost her only son. What? Isn't that arresting? What is Jesus thinking to say such a thing? He knows exactly what he's saying. In his compassion, he wants to stop grief in its tracks. He at least wants that hearer, the woman particularly, but perhaps others, to realize that there's more to the story than death and this overwhelming grief that has filled your heart and mind. This broken world is not all there is. There is a God who lives and he has come near at this moment. Hang on. Do not fear. Do not weep. And then there's that pregnant pause. What, what do you mean? And there's a miracle. Because Jesus had come. Because Jesus was present and about to work a work that only Jesus could do. So it's different than any other funeral. This was real life and real death. It was a real funeral. This isn't a Hallmark card and we just read by and see the happy ending. In the midst of the real pain of life. You got any pain? You got any sadness? Any dreams that are dead and dry and forgotten? Aches and pains, not just of the body, but scars on the heart and mind? There's more to life than sin's consequences. All of us will die. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the picture. This episode in the life of Jesus cries out to everyone. There's another option. There's someone else at work. As he says, do not weep. This mysterious message, do not weep, is a mysterious message of hope. It's that little break of sunlight through the clouds that light at the end of the tunnel that changes everything. I'm so glad we have the words of Jesus. I'm so glad we know our God. Not only did he so love the world that he sent his one and only son, that son spoke to our great needs, our great fears, our pain, and said, hang on! And has more to say. Oh, that we would be more careful readers of our Bible and see such things. Read slowly and carefully, my friends, because those words do not weep come from the heart of Jesus, who said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hear your Lord's compassion in those arresting words. But I said there were two arresting comments. Not only does he tell the widow not to weep, Jesus speaks to the dead man. 
There is this, I'll, I'll just be blunt, there's this crazy command to a corpse. Get up. I've seen grief. I've been to plenty of funerals. I've buried my parents. Mom, Dad, I can't tell them to get up. You can't tell them to get up. The EMTs can come and most of the time, heart compressions and those things, if someone's gone, they're gone. The first thing that rattles you when you see a dead body, and I'm not being graphic, it was in a hospital, former elder of this church, they're not breathing. You see them, and instead of the simple motion of life, something's departed. And you talk to the others in the room, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And you enter into their grief. To talk to the corpse, the dead person, Well, the first thing he does is he touches. He reaches out and touches. Let's read the text in verse 14. Then he, Jesus, came up and touched the buyer. Probably made eye contact with the bearers. They stood still. Everyone's watching. The mourners are silent. What? If you're a Jew and you touch this dead body, friend, you're unclean. Jesus knew that it would be the other way around. So with his commands that show his compassion, there's his touch that shows compassion. And these words, arise. Young man, I say to you, arise. I I, I don't know the reaction of the crowd at first. Who is this guy? And all the followers... Perhaps were less judgmental because they knew that Jesus had some power to heal, but this had gone too far. The person was already dead. Jesus says, arise, and he arises. He sits up. So it's not this grogginess, I'm coming around. He, He sat up with life and health and spoke. The dead man sat up and began to speak, verse 15, and Jesus gave him to his mother. That may have just been the formality where Jesus said, here you go. My view of it, Jesus, that young man, maybe he was a teenager, somebody in his 20s. Jesus, a mature, strong man, lift the man down. And walk him over to the mother. I think that's likely. Jesus showed his compassion with his words. And with the miracle. And in giving the son to his mother. John Calvin says about this miracle. Jesus addresses the dead man. And makes himself to be heard. So that death is suddenly changed into life. We have here in the first place a striking emblem of the future resurrection. As Ezekiel is commanded to say, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord and live. Jesus with his words, yeah, in the Old Testament, dry bones, you you can't put a body back together. 
You know, if you've got a broken bone, a broken arm, or a broken leg, I'm looking for Karen. If you have a broken leg, they can put that back together. But dry bones, no. A dead boy, no. But Jesus says the word and it happens. Speaking of Ezekiel, let's think of some other Old Testament prophets. The people, in responding to the miracle, not to get too far ahead of myself, said a great prophet has arisen among us. Do you know why? Because what just happened reminded them of two of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Elijah and his buddy who followed him, Elisha. And you can look back in the book of Kings and see that Elijah healed the the widow at Zarephath's son, prayed for him, and he God answered the prayer, and that boy was raised to life. Elisha, I think it's 2 Kings 4, was with a a Shunammite woman, and it was called to the bedside of the dead child. He prays, he touches the dead child, does these ritualistic things. He prays, and life is restored to that child. And he famously says, woman, here is your son. So people are probably remembering the story. And you know what? They're remembering it in the town of Nain pretty clearly. Because you know what? Nain was at the foot of this hill. Uh, The smaller, I forgot the name. I should have written it down. The smaller Mount Horeb. It had a lesser name. It's small hill. This was on the north side of the hill. Uh, Nain begins with N. On the south side of the hill, there was a town that began with S. That's how Bible students remember these things. You know the name of the town? It was Shunem. That's where the widow lived, that Elijah restored her son, just over the hill. And in those parts, we all know that story. There was a plaque, Elijah slept here, Elijah healed here. And they were aware of the power of God when the prophet came and when the prophet prayed. And so the crowd concludes, it's another prophet of God. God has drawn near this command, this restoration, woman, receive your son. What a miracle. What a a view of the person and power of Jesus here. And so what's the message? What's the takeaway as we begin to connect the dots and see why this is written and what we need to learn from it? Let's linger over this. The message of this miracle, the message of this passage in the Gospel of Luke. First, there's good news for hearts that grieve. There's good news for hearts that grieve. And there are hearts that are grief, touched by grief in this congregation and in this audience. There's good news here. What good news? Well, there's multiple facets. Good news that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is filled with compassion for brokenness and sin. And it's really good news because you know what? That widow didn't ask for a miracle. The dead person didn't say, can you help me? Is there a request for healing and help anywhere here? No. God acts with sovereign compassion. Maybe someone in the crowd was praying for this woman. I'm sure of it among the Jews. I don't know that anyone was praying Lord, bring that man back to life. Maybe. But Jesus acts with compassion that is sovereign and unfettered 
Does that give hope to you who grieve? Does that give hope to you who may have a wayward family member that's no longer talking to you? They don't want to hear from you. They're not asking for help. God can intervene. We have a God of compassion. And here he was present in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good news for those that grieve because not only is it compassion, but there's power to do something about it. God can heal. God can raise the dead. There's at least three times in the New Testament where Jesus raised someone from the dead. Lazarus gets all the fame, and that's fine. That was pretty big, and his name has gone down, and he was an active participant. Some of these people, we don't know the name of this lad. But we see the power of God. And by the way, for the skeptics who are saying, well, you know, they tried to bury people the same day. Maybe he wasn't really dead. Maybe he was just uh, very low blood pressure and comatose, and maybe he wasn't really dead. Well, you know, friend, a crowd had gathered, and if you wanted to help the widow and you're an intelligent adult, you might check and see, is the lad really dead? You, you might just look in on him. Or the, the rabbi in the village might just check it. You know, she wasn't alone and said to her farmhand, go bury my son. No, the whole community was there. Someone would have noticed if he wasn't really dead. And they're carrying him out. And Jesus understood that he was dead. Real power can really raise the dead what are your problems are they as bad as that it's good news good news for hearts that are troubled hearts that grieve and specifically good news that it teaches us about the resurrection whether it's in this life we have seen loved ones from this fellowship buried god did not raise them he's able to But we know that that's not the end of the story. There is a resurrection to come. For those who die in the Lord, they shall live. Live forever in heaven. That's part of the good news here. All those physical things that God can address. But hey, there's more to the message. Because what Jesus did, he came to make the Father known. He came to announce good news, not simply for those who were poor or who had broken limbs or had physical affliction. Jesus came to proclaim proclaim liberty for hearts and minds, to free us from our sins. There's good news for the spiritually dead. The spiritually dead, ah, they're much harder to see but they're all around us. You know, every time, I'm, I'm not into zombie movies. They're, they're pretty weird. It's a genre. And people laugh, oh, what would we do if all the zombies came? Well, you know what? The world is filled with the walking dead spiritually. People who don't have the Lord in their lives, they don't have hope, and they feed and live off the things of this world in Just a mindless way, not the way God meant them to be. There's good news in this passage for the spiritually dead. Spiritual resurrection is possible. Your eyes can be opened. You can be changed. You can be set free like the gathering demoniac that Jesus meets who couldn't be bound by chains physically because he was demon-possessed. Jesus set him free. 
from his demons and set his heart right with God. He was a different person. We call that the new birth. The conversion, the new birth that the gospel brings. That Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again to make possible spiritual life, spiritual resurrection. We're all spiritual beings, but we're dead in our trespasses and sins. God makes it possible for us to be raised to newness of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul uses that famous metaphor for the human body, jars of clay. Right? And he talks about death in 2 Corinthians 4. But he goes on to speak of resurrection, including spiritual resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and also speak, knowing, so this is the voice of a believer, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Faith in Christ is the key to spiritual and physical resurrection. That's what Paul says. Peter says something simpler just in passing in his first letter. He says to the Christians he's writing, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable Born again through the living and abiding word of God. The gospel, the truth that Jesus brings, that the Bible preaches, can set you free and give you spiritual life. By gazing at the world, gazing at sunsets and hugging trees, you can be aware that there's a God. And your spiritual life can be stirred, but it can't be set free. It's the word of God, the gospel, that gives the life. Not just a resonance. Life by the gospel. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. This is good news. This is the gospel. If you need this life, you can pray. I'll keep preaching, but you can pray now. And Jesus will hear. And the compassion of Jesus will touch your heart. And you'll sit up and know God. It sounds so simple. It sounds too amazing. But it's the grace of God. The new birth. It's not just learning all the theology in the Bible And having a meeting with the pastor. It's when Jesus interrupts your day, meets you in your procession of grief and need, takes pity on you, and brings new life. Jesus said, come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give you life and rest, the abundant life. There's one more point I wanted to make on this final heading Since we're talking about the message, good news for people that grieve and and the difficulties of life, good news for the spiritual dead. But I want to say it's particularly good news about who Jesus is. Remember that statement at the beginning, Jesus always seems to be far more than we imagine him to be. The good news is that Jesus is the Lord. If you're taking notes, this is what I would love to have you write down. Good news about Jesus 
Capital T, the, capital L, Lord. The Lord. Okay, what's this going on about? Let's look at Luke. I hope you saw it here in verse 13. The heart of this passage. Verse 13 is the climax of the whole thing. And when the Lord saw her. Hey, he's just been talking about Jesus. uh, And yet now, for the first time in Luke's gospel, he's talking about Jesus with a title. With a definite article. It's not like, sir, this is the Lord. Luke is very intentional here. What does he say? He says that the one who is present at this moment, having compassion, is not just a faith healer. He is not simply like Elijah or Elisha who will pray and maybe something will happen. The one who stood there in that moment was the Lord. The one who creates and holds all things together by his power according to Colossians chapter 1. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who will say in Revelation chapter 1 when John meets him and sees him in his heavenly glory and John falls at his feet and he says, don't fear. When the Lord speaks to John, Revelation chapter 1, turn with me, turn with me. If you have a Bible, look at this. Underline this. It's easy to find. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. St. John is writing and says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. There goes Jesus again, touching people with his compassion, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And here's verse 18. And the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. Revelation 1.18. If I'm at a funeral or I'm with someone who's lost to loved ones, I weep with them. We weep away. But I look for the moment to share with them, to show them the words of Jesus. I have the keys of death. No one dies without Jesus' authority. And no one remains dead apart from Jesus' power. He has the keys of death itself. Luke says in Luke chapter 7, the Lord had compassion. The one who had keys for life and death, the one who could say, no, not today. And somebody says, why doesn't Jesus heal every day? If he can do that, why not just stop every death? That's not the plan of God. But so that the people of God might have hope in his power and trust in his ways, we have a few instances of the dead being raised. The ones in the Bible that were raised to newness of life lived a little longer, but then they died. Jesus didn't raise that son permanently to life. He didn't raise Lazarus permanently to life. Because it would be a later resurrection that God would provide. You know what? Everybody comes back to life. But at the resurrection, there's a separation. Those who know Jesus enter into heaven. 
And those who don't are sent away. The Lord himself will be the judge on that day. He has the keys. He has the authority. Jesus is the judge. And I say this is good news about the Lord. Because Jesus isn't just our teacher to show us an ethic and how to improve our life. No, he claims sinners for himself. He sees us safely to heaven. He rescues us. He does it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. Jesus is the Lord. He's not a life coach. He's not just your friend. He's the Lord. What did those villagers think? Who is this? A prophet? They had questions. Luke gives us the answer. Did you see the significant differences with this miracle than the miracle with the centurion's son? Did you see them? A couple of differences. Unlike the Old Testament prophets, Jesus doesn't have to pray, Father, raise this one. Jesus says, get up. He's no mere prophet. He's no mere healer. Oh, he's dead. It's too late. No, Jesus is the Lord who can tackle even death. Is anything too hard for our God? To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Ah, those differences. Luke highlights this miracle for us. So what are our takeaways? Uh, Just the last closing words, three. See what sorrow sin has caused. The Bible understands this world is broken and it's sinful and we run into that every day. People have to have surgeries. People have cancers. People have bereavements. It is a broken world. God knows that. But God also has compassion. So behold the compassion and power of our God. He sent his son. His son made the father known by acts of sovereign compassion. By acts of power. The Old Testament, we saw the sun could stand still by the power of God. In the New Testament, Jesus can calm the wind and the waves. Jesus can raise the dead. Behold the compassion and power of Jesus. One preacher said, Jesus halted the rule of death and raised a banner of hope for the future of humankind. I think the world knows something about Hope because of Jesus. May they know the full gospel. One final exhortation is for those of us who have been comforted by Jesus. Those of us who are born again. 2 Corinthians 1.4 tells us that we who have been comforted need to comfort others. This is how Paul writes. And by the way, this was the favorite verse of one of the elders I buried, John Foringer. Love to quote this verse. I think he quoted it in the King James, but had it memorized. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know the great heart of Jesus. Go now and bring that comfort to others. 
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank You for blessing the preaching of Your Word. Your Word is living and active. Your Spirit brings it to our understanding and presses it upon our hearts and minds. Father, I pray for the one or many that are hearing the Gospel and at the precipice of life and death. I pray that their intersection with Jesus on this moment might see them touched by your compassion, by your power, and brought into your kingdom. Oh, Father, may some be born again today. May they know the hope that raises the dead and know your power and presence in their life. And Father, for those of us who do know it, help us to comfort others with the truth of the gospel and with all the testimonies of how you have comforted us. May we go forth rejoicing in our wonderful Amazing God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.